0: This podcast brought to you by TechSmith. More A2 is software for usability testing and user experience research, enabling you to test quickly and often, letting you solve real design issues. By PowerMapper. Mapping your site has never been easier. PowerMapper extracts links from each page of your site until it's mapped your entire site, providing you with a complete inventory. By OptimalSort. With an elegant user interface, powerful analysis, and outstanding support, OptimalSort can help you run successful card sorts better than you ever thought possible. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For other events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. Don Norman of the Nielsen Norm Group sits down with founder and president of Adaptive Path, Peter Merholtz, about their on-stage conversation, with a focus on questions and comments from attendees at UX Week. They talk about the importance of the semantical differences around common issues in business like return on investment from a design perspective, as well as the necessity to look beyond the almighty dollar, acknowledging the importance of being passionate about your ideas, knowing ultimately all team members want to create great products and services for other people. Don shares his insights about the presentation given by Jensen Harris from Microsoft at UX Week around the usability of the ribbon in the latest version of MS Office, as well as the exciting future that lies ahead for all in the field of user experience. A huge thank you to both Peter and Don for taking time during a jam-packed conference to share their ideas and insights with the Boxes and Arrows community. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast.
1: Cheers. I'm Peter Merholtz, and I have with me uh, Donald Norman. Don and I just uh, were on stage at Adaptive Paths UX Week 2008 conference. Uh, We had a conversation that served as the kickoff for day one And we ended up talking about a lot of different aspects of design and user experience. And um, we wanted to kind of follow that up with some more uh, thoughts, stuff that perhaps didn't happen on stage. But what I'm mostly interested in, Don, uh, you mentioned to me uh, at a break that a lot of people had come up to you and were talking to you about the stuff that we talked about on stage. And what are some some of the feedback that you've gotten? What were the topics and the ideas that most resonated with uh, the audience.
2: Well, let me, though, start with some history, because I'm assuming most of the people listening to this podcast did not come to the conference. There's a theme that I've had for a long time, which is that people who in the design field, all of the design fields, whether it's usability, human computer interaction, interaction design, experience design, um, industrial design, tend to be expert in what they do, and they believe what they do is the most important thing there is to do, it, which is a good thing, because after all, if you didn't believe it was the most important thing, why should you be doing it? But they always complain that management doesn't get it, I don't have the right budget, or they don't give me enough time, or I need to go do some field work, and uh, they won't assign the time, or, or they're always saying, well, next time, next product, maybe we'll, give it, we'll let you, but this time we're really in a rush. And how do you convince people? And the standard way that people in the design arena try to convince management is by making this wonderful story about how important design is and aesthetics and pleasure and the experience and why it's important that things be usable and etc. It doesn't work. It's not that it's a bad argument. Usually the management will listen to the argument and agree with everything you say. But The story I like to tell was one of my early days at Apple when I went and I talked to one of the vice presidents in the product group about uh, what we were trying to do with the user experience group. And we had a long talk for about a half hour. And at that, sort of the end of the half hour, he looked at his watch and said, you know, I really enjoy talking to you. I want you to come back. We'll continue. But now I have real work to do. Now I have real work to do. Here's the point. What any good manager in a company has to care about is the profitability of either their product line or the entire company. And unless you are addressing that directly, it's not real work. So rather than try to explain that this is good, like motherhood and apple pie, and they'll agree with you, you have to say, if you do this, I think you can actually bring in improved profits, greater sales. Uh, maybe less cost, but here's a spreadsheet to show where that less cost comes from and how it impacts your budget, you have to learn to talk the logic of business. For a designer, their customer is not the person who's using the product, not the person who's purchasing the product or the service, it's your management. Whether if you work in a company, it's maybe it's your boss or maybe your boss's boss. And if you're a consultant, then it's um, your client. And you have to understand what language they understand. And you have to speak their language, which means speak the language of business. So that's a message I've been saying over and over again. I remember once talking to a group of designers who were complaining that Engineers end up being in management, and the design group doesn't end up being in management, and I say, well, why do you think that is? And they say, oh, they go off and they take all those business courses, they get MBAs, <clears throat> and well, that's true, so how come you don't? Absolutely, if you want to be a manager, you've got to understand management, so why not? And it makes you more effective, it makes you a better part of the team. So that was the message I was trying to convey in today's conference. And that was actually a large number of people came to me saying thank you, and that was good. I also pointed out today that you have to make allies with the other people. And the design team, I like to say sometimes that the designers and the engineers almost never agree. There's only one thing they both agree on, and that's that marketing is the enemy. And there's sort of a feeling that every group thinks the other group is dumb. All those engineers are dumb, they don't get it. Or all the executives are dumb, they, they you know, refuse to listen. Or the marketing people are dumb, look what they do. When you have to be an executive in a company, you have to be good. It doesn't mean people like you, but you, I have never seen a senior executive who's dumb. It's hard. These are good people. They have other worries. Uh, marketing people aren't dumb. They're very smart. They have a different goal than we do. But their goal is eventually the same as ours, which is to make happy, pleased customers. So we ought to be friends with marketing. We ought to be on their side. So when we say that marketing ruined our product or the engineers ruined our product, it meant we obviously didn't understand what their jobs were, what they needed. They didn't ruin it because they liked to ruin things. They ruined it because it didn't fit their needs. If we were working with them in the beginning, if they were allies, then actually maybe we could understand their concerns and they would be built into the designs and we would all be happier. So that was, that's the message I'm trying to say. And it sort out of to be a difficult message to communicate because I'm a designer because I want to be a designer. I don't want to do a spreadsheet, accounting, finance, all that stuff. Well, you have to if you want to succeed.
1: I mean, it was refreshing to hear that coming from you in, in front of the audience. It's a message that, that we've... Um, Long espoused. And and I actually think one of the reasons that, and, and I, I wonder if this resonates with your background, one of the reasons that we've approached design in that way. Uh, uh, in 2003, we did a report on how using tools such as uh, return on investment can actually have a positive impact on design. For, for much of what you're talking about, it kind of makes it credible and accountable. And so, you know, that's about five years old now.
2: Return on investment is not the correct tool.
1: Well, return, on, it, it's, it, uh, return the- on
2: investment is what an investor cares about when I invest in this company or about what management might care about when they're going to buy some very expensive piece of hardware or something. But return on investment is not, that's not, believe me, when the marketing people make a pitch, they don't talk about return on investment. Well, They talk about the bottom line, they talk about Here's our current sales and profitability, and if we were to bring out this new product or we were to modify it in this way, we believe that we can attract this new set of audience and that here's the increased sales you'll have and the increased revenue.
1: One way to think of that but, is but, as an investment, right? You're going to need to invest no. in order to re- return the increased sales and in order to return in the increased no, revenue. There, no, is, a, there no, is a price no. you're paying for that.
2: No, that's a, technically that's correct. Think about it. You're a, um, an executive VP in charge of the product group. And um, you've been hammered uh, with the country's in a depression. Uh, people aren't buying as much. Um, you, you're desperately trying to stay afloat. Uh, management is feels they're in trouble. Your management is pushing on you to bring in more profit. Uh, this is not the time when you want to invest, no matter how good the long term results will be. One of the problems with being a public company is that you're being judged every quarter, every three months. Long-term investments are not really the wise thing. So what you want to do, you want to say, we can increase the sales. We can bring in more revenue if we were to bring out this. And that at some point, they're obviously going to say, well, what do you need to do that? And then you to talk about you have to hire some new people and you're going to have to increase the team and you may have to do some retooling or something. Um, and that's your cost and that you factor it in. But you don't think of it as an investment.
1: Okay. I mean, I think. I we're... only
2: make the investments in the early stages of growth or when I'm I more see. rich.
1: I think, you know, it, it's perhaps a, a, a semantic difference because. But, but this... I mean, what we were arguing for... But it's
2: all about semantics.
1: Because what what we were arguing for, actually, we tended to agree in that ROI was not the right approach, the right metric, but that accountability was important, that you needed to tie design work to financial returns. That's kind of where we ended up in that when you start tying design work to financial returns and make explicit um, how one of the things... No, no, but
2: see, I want to work backwards. You're trying to work forwards. And there's a big difference. Even though technically, work are, at technically both sides they're technically they're identical. The technically they're identical. The way you phrase something in the semantics makes all the difference in the world. Return on investment implies, uh, you want me to invest a bunch of money. Well, I, I think your case is a good one, but not now. This is a bad time. Well, it's always going to be a bad time. Second, if you want to say the importance of design and, and so on, and I start emphasizing the design team and how good this is, but you know we're, we're really too small. We need to grow in order to be able to do a better job, and that will in turn, no, start off with the end result.
1: Um, well, start yes, off with, we start with whatever the the uh, companies call them KPIs, right? The key performance indicators. What are the things that they are looking to move? I, again, I don't think we're in, in disagreement. What are the things no, no, we are looking no, to move and the how issue does... Is,
2: the issue is about... We're in complete agreement about the issues. I'm just talking about the presentation strategy. Right. That You right. want foremost... It's what we call the, the focus. You want the foremost in their mind. The focus is on the increased numbers of sales and right. increased profitability. And then they'll back up and realize they need to spend some money to do that. They know that will be true. But the, for, the foremost thing is the increased sales.
1: Right. That's right. what
2: people want. And as opposed to if you do it the other way, foremost thing might be the increased investment and then results in increased sales. And there's, a slight, there's an important difference in emphasis. Don't forget you're not the only person arguing for a larger budget. Well, meeting. no, exactly.
1: These managers, VPs, executives have have a budget, and they need to figure out how they can spend it. Right? They kind of you, you see a set of projects almost as a portfolio, and, and it is a portfolio. And where and they every want single, outcomes,
2: every single group in that in your domain thinks that they're understaffed and right. overworked.
1: And so you have to make the case why your group is going to have the impact, is going to have a, be, a more positive impact on their portfolio where we, we kind of, not quite tangential, it's actually the crux, but I think one of the things that's interesting, you mentioned how designers hate engaging with this type of <clears> subject matter. We've just spent the last five, 10 minutes talking about spreadsheets and, and, and uh, uh, financial outcomes and improves increased sales. And I think something you and I, and I know my colleagues at it, many of my colleagues at Adaptive Path share is not coming from design backgrounds. And, there's, and so I think a lot of people go into design because they want to make a thing. Or, you know, they want, to, they want to design products. Whereas, I know for me, I fell, I fell into design. I backed into design as an interesting approach to problem solving. But design isn't the end-all be-all. Design is a means to an end. And, you know, your background, cognitive psychology, you know, uh, 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 in human depth. information processing, you know, you've somehow backed into design as well. Uh, uh, but I, don't, I think that's allowed us to not get – to not feel like um, – Business know. is a bad thing when it interacts with design, in fact, that's the reason we do design.
2: But I used to think business was a bad thing, <laughs> I, for, for many years I was a professor, and professors uh, basically th- think that business is a bad thing, and that people are only after money. Well,
1: Is it bad to be only after money?
2: Yes, I think it is. Because the, the, the you talked earlier word,
1: about profitability.
2: But the key word there is only. Only, okay. I think it's essential that the company be profitable. I don't think it's, it leads to a very fruitful life, uh, pleasant life, pleasant person. If that's all you care about is money. Right. It's very important that in your design team you have people who love and with design. And that's what they want to do and that's all they care about. It's only that for them to be successful you need some people Somebody who are looking at a, broader, yeah. at a broader perspective and helping them. Helping them do what they're so good at. Exactly. So not everybody should take this line.
1: Right. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, you need, you need a mix. But designers, I, but I mean... But when I, I
2: hear design people complaining exactly. that my product was ruined by the developers, by the this, by the that, but then I just have to back off and say, well, what do you mean ruined?
1: Right.
2: Doesn't that mean that maybe it didn't meet their requirements and wasn't it your responsibility to have learned what their requirements were?
1: Right. Who's, who is being held accountable at the end of the day? And it's very rare that designers are held accountable. Right? That's where business analysts or other, other people in the organization are the ones who have to demonstrate profitability, demonstrate some return. And our, my frustration has, has long been that designers want all the authority. They want to be able to dictate what goes into a product, but they don't want any of the accountability. If something goes wrong, they don't want to be blamed.
2: Actually, every group would like to be able to dictate. Of course, but someone steps up. And often they're very intelligent, and often what they would like to dictate is often very sensible. But they all have to come together in a package that is workable and usable and enjoyable and profitable, manufacturable. And on top of that, consistent with the rest of the company and what the company does. So you could even propose a a wonderful product, but if it's not relevant to the company, the company shouldn't do it. And it, or if it's inconsistent with other products in the company's line, maybe that's a bad idea. It's, we learned that early in Apple when we had tried to standardize the menus and the operations and the key commands. Uh, other, sometimes developers would come up with schemes that they insisted were superior to what we had, and we might even agree with them. But we had to explain that you can't just build an isolated system since this system has to work with all of the other applications it's better to be consistent than it is to be better. You know what I mean. Right, right, no, because exactly. It leads exactly. to great confusion among people if different things work differently. They want to work the same, even if you think you have a better way.
1: It, it's interesting. You talk. You mentioned Apple and you mentioned menus because I I was wondering how you responded to Jensen's talk. So Jensen Harris is the lead UI designer. I don't know exactly his title for Office 2007, and here at the conference he talked about what he called the story of the ribbon, how from Office 2003 to 2007 they radically changed the the interface, introduced the ribbon, introduced other paradigms in an effort to kind of streamline, simplify, make make more accessible the, the features people want to use. And he also talked a lot about um, taking advantage of kind of visual cues, right? So it's not just about menus with words, but using kind of pictorial, pictorial cues to help you understand how you can manipulate your documents. And so obviously you've had a lot of experience doing kind of detailed user interface work. Uh, I'm, I was wondering kind of, and, and so he talked about a process, uh, research, uh, develop design tenets, uh prototype, and then evaluate. And I'm wondering kind of what you thought of his talk, the, the, what you think of the ribbon, like kind of just what your response was to, to what he had to say.
2: I think Microsoft had a major problem, and still does, that their products have become far too complex. Uh, they try to have something for everybody. As a result, the number of choices is daunting. The ribbon is a very, very clever and innovative approach. Uh, I don't think it's completely successful yet, but that's okay. I mean, it's a new approach. They're still learning. Men use the whole graphical user interface. doesn't scale. And that's, that's the problem that Microsoft faced, but it's a problem that all of us face. And it's actually interesting to look at um, what's happening with our cell phones. But first to the menus. In the early days of the graphical computer, remember the first uh, GUI, graphical user interface, uh, what you see is what you get, was the first uh, successful public one for, was the Macintosh. And it was about the third. The Xerox Star and the Apple Lisa preceded them. But both of those were failures in the marketplace. So the Macintosh had 400k of memory or something like that. It had 128k of memory. No, 128k of memory. But only
1: 400k floppies.
2: And it it only had a floppy that could hold 400k. And it had no hard disk and no network. And so the notion that I can make everything on a menu and so you can just experiment and view everything, it worked brilliantly. But today, when we have gigabytes, numbers, we didn't even know the word word giga meant in those things, let alone dream that somebody would actually have one. Um, It doesn't scale. You can't put all the possible things and let people view them. They can't find them all. They won't fit on the screen. It's overwhelming. So something has to be done. Cell phones have taken a different tact uh, in making things visible and making it usable. But on the other hand, you can't do the kind of powerful actions that you can with a, um, a prototyping tool on a regular uh, PC or, a, uh, or even, even Microsoft Word. Uh, is, is, it has power that you cannot yet do on a, on a small machine. So how are you going to manage it? So the Ribbons is trying to say, let's have context-sensitive menus. Let's try to figure out what action the person is doing and then display only precisely those and only those things that a person might need. And it's a good idea, and on the whole I think it works well. I still have periods, though, when I'm using it, when I I know there's a, something in there because I found it before, and I can't find it again. And I actually have to sometimes click every single menu, every single ribbon, go through, and it turns out it has hidden little things. That some of them, you just click and that's it. And some of them, no, there's a little arrow on the right, and guess what? There's a menu that comes down. And some of them I discover hidden special ways of getting to special lists. And it isn't that Microsoft did it badly. It's that Microsoft had this daunting challenge, and I don't... Well, I know I couldn't have done it better because actually I was called in as a consultant to help them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and, and it's interesting to hear that because it sounds like, and I, I tend to agree, the at least the WIMP GUI, Windows, Icons, Menu, Pointers, was developed for a much different world than the one we're in today. Now, You know, we're in a networked world, we're in a large hard drive world, and, and it and it has kind of fallen apart. I
2: wrote an article for the Interactions magazine in which I said, you know what the new user interface is going to be? Command line languages.
1: Go back to uh, uh, well, no. typing commands or well, it's you... really
2: nice if I'm. Yeah, this happened to me the other day. I wanted to know how many ounces there were in a liter, and so I simply typed into Google. I typed um, one liter in ounces, and it turns out that's a command line instruction to Google. Google has it's a you have to. It's hard to find, yeah, but see, there are special websites that will tell you what yeah. the command line languages are. You can type a whole bunch of instructions into no. Google, and it will do the computation and give you the answer. And in this case, it answered me roughly 33 ounces, I think it is. Yeah. And um, you could ask a lot of questions. I could have said 7.5 liters in ounces, and it would have told me the correct answer. And what what this is is a combination of commands and some natural language understanding, so that you don't have to be so precise in the commands. You can type roughly what you mean in intention. I think that's that which
1: would be a fundamental difference from kind of pre GUI when you think about DOS or, or Oh, Apple where Basic, where you have to
2: memorize a completely arbitrary system. Right. And moreover, because it's also a search engine, if, even if it didn't understand your line, it then gives you results that might. That, might, might be closed you. might help but i can imagine that happening even in word
1: right right where
2: i want to say make this bold and it, and it just figures does. it does or it, or it comes or gets close enough so i can get there
1: so so that's interesting so so um and and this might be kind of where we wrap up the conversation looking looking a little bit towards the future uh, uh kind of a smarter command line interface that can do some natural language processing some interpretation i'm i wonder your take if you've had much exposure to and engagement with uh, some of the more natural interfaces that are cropping up, whether it's Microsoft Surface, the touchscreen on an iPhone, or the fact that it's got an accelerometer so it can know how it's being moved, obviously Nintendo Wii and its Wiimote. What do you make of that direction? Does that help address the challenges that you're seeing with the WIMP GUI, or, or is, is something fundamentally still going to need to change in, our, or in order to, to satisfy the complexity and power that we now have in our? At the hand. answer
2: to that multi-part question <laughs> is yes. <laughs> <laughs> so look, when we are talking, a professional and, interviewer, <laughs> when, when we are talking about typing a manuscript, where we, uh, it's fairly complex because we're really also doing a page composition. We're not just typing the words, but we're trying to say, well, I want this to be a special kind of header, not like that header, but a little bit less, uh, and I want a photograph here, and oh, that's too big, I want it smaller, and um, oh, I want to crop off the top, And, um, and I want to have the caption right underneath, but on this photograph, I want the caption to the right, and when we're talking about those kinds of actions, I don't see much alternative to what we have. Um, I think that the touch screens will help. I can start placing things, a multi-touch, which still is not on our main machine because it's expensive. Mm-hmm. But multi-touch will help because I can then, I can stretch the picture, move it, I can use several hands, uh, and that makes a real difference. I mean, we've only known that for about 30 years now. Bill Buxton was right. the first one to argue. Musicians use their hands, both hands and both feet. Why can't With the rest of us? And he had two mice he used to use. And um, So multi-touch will work and help, but on the whole, those are complex things that require a lot of sophistication and specialized commands. And so I think we're still going to be similar to what we are. But very few people do that kind of work. Very few people spend their lives doing spreadsheets or doing page composition. And uh, the rest of us, most of the time, we're doing simpler things or we're trying to get answers. Um, We don't want to search, mind you. We want to do something and for that we might need some information and for that today the only thing we have to, can do is search uh, or we might want to play games, we might want to maneuver things. So there's a whole new world out there. Now look, when I drive an automobile, I'm using 50 to 70 computers, microprocessors and I don't even know it. But they're connected to the steering wheel, they're connected to the gas, uh, air mixture, uh, they control the vibrations, they control everything. And so there are all sorts of sensors that are controlling it. And that's where the future is. So if you look at the Wii, which the, where, in which they said, the hell with all this uh, high-end, high-pollutant games where all we try to do is kill people, we're going to have fun. And so we're going to do balancing games, so we need to have an accelerometer, or we need to have um, some kind of pointing device, or uh, in this case it's IR, that you can detect This little NIR camera can detect spots, and we can do all sorts of neat things, and people can really interact in fun, realistic, engaging ways. And I think that's the future. Um, That's going to be in the Wii. It's going to be in all the machines. Sony actually tried to do that much earlier. They had a camera that looked at you, but that required a lot of processing power. We managed to do it with much less processing power. And um, that's coming onto the screens. The iPhone is another example. We put in the accelerometer by having... major display screen by having uh, the dual touch uh, sensitivity, but it's expensive. And notice for people like office workers or consultants, they can't use the iPhone because they need to type a lot. So I know lots of my friends who can't use the iPhone for the business. They use a, a rim Blackberry or maybe a Palm, and they use an iPhone as an entertainment machine. That's what it is. It's an entertainment machine and it's brilliant at it. And the reason it's so brilliant, actually, is because it restricted itself. It said, I don't want to be everything for everybody. And if you look at the Microsoft cell phones, one cell phone is supposed to be everything for everybody, and so it ends up being Windows. and It ends up being too complex and, therefore, sluggish and slow because it, uses, it requires heavier CPU and more memory, whereas the iPhone is fast and nimble, but it doesn't do everything. Well, I have. I use a BlackBerry myself, and what and it's not beautiful, but it's in, it's very impressive in how reliable it is and how rugged it is, and it's always fast. So I, I'm still. A, I once was, and I still am a believer of more specialized devices because they can just work better. And I'm also a believer in getting out of the Windows, you know, interface and uh, the mouse and the pointing. Uh, because that's not appropriate for lots of things we want to do in life, so I, I think the future is going to be really exciting. Machines that we can just will notice where we are and point at us, or can interact with us. You know, bubbles that bounce on the head, and you, you know the story.
1: Yeah, it's just, fun as long as it's not too uh, dystopian, like a Minority Report, where where the computers are following your every movement and popping up personalized ads as you're trying to escape the I think you're too late. That's already there. <laughs> That's already there.
2: The Mini Cooper ad already recognizes you when you drive by and says, Hi, Peter, enjoying your <laughs> convertible? And uh, billboards and now many, many stores have gone to flat panel displays. And with that flat panel display, all they need to do is recognize you coming by, and we're pretty close to that.
1: Right, right. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Well, I think that's all the time we have for now. Uh, this conversation could, I'm sure, last uh, hours, if not days, but uh, thank you for your time, Don, and thank you for your participation in the event. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from attendees who really enjoyed the conversation we had. Uh, for those listening on Boxes and Arrows, we, uh, at some point, will be posting the video, for so you'll be able to see it as well. Uh, So you might want to check out adaptivepath.com, maybe join our newsletter uh, to find out when that might happen or just follow our blog. Uh, But thank you, Don.
2: You're quite welcome. Thank you, Peter.